podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Today's episode is brought to you by Clorox. When it counts, trust Clorox the same way we trust essential workers to provide the care they give to us. Families trust Clorox to give them a safe and protected home. Our community heroes trust Clorox to keep places like hospitals and grocery stores disinfected. So I know I too can trust Clorox to provide my home with a safe environment at home we can all enjoy. So I have a story for you, Amanda. Um, with Clorox, there's one thing I definitely use it for every single time before I step into my vanity van. Uh, I love the entire place disinfected because that's where I keep my makeup. Uh, that's where I get ready. That's where my clothes are. That's sometimes where I take a nap as well. So, you know, I can use it all over like time of need. So, um, yeah, it's been really, really, it just keeps everything super clean and I, I feel super safe. For me, it's important to share with loved ones and the public in general how they can give the most care for their loved ones especially during times like these. I mean, with the pandemic going on, with COVID going on, it's just great to be extra sanitary with all the items that are around you, caring for others and, you know, just wiping down the door handle after you use the bathroom or wiping down so the So important. The toilet. So important. The toilet handle. Don't forget oh. the toilet handle. <laughs> so remember, when, when it counts, counts trust Clorox. Break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's a counter-attack. It's Didier Drogba. And now it's in the middle. Drogba goes.
Yes, welcome to Chessie Hour, um, weekly Touchline Fracas podcast discussing all things down at the bridge. Tonight we've got myself, Yassine James, joining with Daniel Soff. What's up, bro? Matisse. How's it going, man? How's it going? Not bad. Pleasure, pleasure. And a deadline day signing literally made himself available for the pod 75 seconds ago. Young Pels, what's going on? How we doing? Do you know what's mad? We managed to make a deadline day signing. Chelsea did it. But the club didn't, somehow. So you know what? Straight off the bat. Straight off the bat, that's where we start because this is the first recorded since I think deadline days passed. Um, and firstly, I'm going to ask how you lot are feeling, and then I'm going to say how Lampard is feeling because that man has made it very clear to any media who will listen that he's pissed. <laughs> so my thoughts on it is just like I I don't think we've got a bad squad anyway. Um, we were only looking for a striker. Um, I, you know, I'm not that upset. I'm not really that upset. Uh, my issues are more with he wasn't targeting what I wanted. And maybe I'm being spoiled and I wanted a creative midfielder, but he wasn't looking that way. So the fact that we didn't get him, I wasn't expecting one. Mm. Yeah, just to, so just to recap on that, the, the links seem to be heavily Cavani, which we don't know how much that really got off the ground, except for Lampard really liking him in a press conference. But it seemed that Leco was more likely there anyway. Mm. Dembele, who the club's been linked with for about three years, so wouldn't necessarily be a Lampard signing anyway. Uh, Zaha, which was mooted back in November, but again, didn't really come off. I think the valuation, Crystal Palace are dreaming and probably won't go for that money, maybe even for another little while. And who am I missing? There was another one or two forwards. Mertens came through. Mertens, yeah. Mertens. And then even that like that was just that was panic, panic, yeah, why not? He can drift out and he's a score. Like just yeah, I guess I guess it looked like the sort of window where Chelsea would do a very Chelsea thing and invest in someone they didn't really want or have a plan for. But um, you know what, yes. You know I don't know if you guys know, but obviously there was that one press conference where before Lampard was speaking, Bruce Buck was leaving because they were doing some like PR shit, and then he goes, I know who we're signing. And obviously before that, Bruce Buck was like saying, rah, if the window, if we, the ban gets lifted, we're going to spend like millions, like hundreds of millions in, in January. So he gassed the whole thing up. Well, like, this is the other thing. It's like, you've gone through all this effort to lift the ban. Yeah. Now I get that. I'm not, I'm not going to be simple about it. Things change. They might have had a deal lined up that wouldn't have worked, or maybe they were expecting Dortmund to take Sancho back on loan. Who knows? But you've gone through all this tribulation trial process to lift the ban, only to sit pat. Whereas the whole perception changes. Now it's a missed opportunity if top four doesn't happen. If you just handled the ban and firmed it with two windows, you could put your hands up and make all the excuses in the world. So it just seems a really weird thing to have and done, only to have failed. And it has to be a failure because you assume they would have tried off of what he said there. They, they fully spent more money in lawyers' fees than they spent in the band, in the, in the window. Yeah. This is it, bro. And what, I don't get it. Maybe, I, like, the only thing I can understand is a perception thing. They don't want to, they just wanted to have cleared their name a little bit or something, but they didn't really. It's just reduced, as was done practice. So, yeah. well, I don't know. I mean, we signed a Swedish 
child. So hopefully he's a worldie, but I doubt it. So like, yeah, it's a bit of missed priorities. And I think it is concerning from my point of view, even if they were targeting the profile of player that, that we really would like. But the Lampard quotes are concerning. This is, this is something I've alluded to, but you've got Conte and Sarri and uh, Mourinho getting frustrated. That's a bit of a given. Yeah. But now you've got Mr. Top Everts goal scorer, Mr. Stamford Bridge, Mr. Super Frank, Mr. Gifted the job, even though he's probably not earned it, if we're being completely honest. And he's saying things like, we are now the underdogs for top four. And look at Man United. They've signed a big player, a world-class player. He even mentioned Sheffield United as as doing more business. So when you see his body language and his, and his mood about it, does that give mm. us any concerns about... Okay, not Conte level, but his frustration seeping into to the performances at all. I'm I'm a simple man, yeah. If Frank's not happy, I'm not happy. What? It's as simple as that. Is Frank simple. your dad? Yeah, it's simple, fam. That's it. <laughs> okay. Literally, it's as simple as that for me because at the end of the day, it's very clear that he's not happy with what he's got. Like, if you look at look at our backup strikers, Giroud. You know, everyone's got his own opinion on him. He's a good player, but is he really, is he potent? He's never had the greatest of records, even when he was a starter. And he doesn't suit what Lampard's trying to do quite clearly, hence why he's behind Batshuayi. Um, I know you man here rate Batshuayi quite highly, but... Let's no, look, no, no, no. man, man, certain man. <laughs> Not all man. Yeah, but I like the way that you kind of realise where you are before you started talking. But go on, go off. <laughs> what was you going to say? Matisse. I know how you guys operate. You rate Batshuayi, you rate Batshuayi, you don't rate Pulisic and you think um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek's going to be good at right wing. No, 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 no. Don't talk for, listen, you have to understand. <laughs> you have to understand, Matisse. Like, and for anyone else listening, it's usually just me on the account. So that's like all my opinions. Like it's not the whole <laughs> podcast opinion. Do one of them things like Vodafone or Tesco where you put a little initial at the end just yeah. so everyone <laughs> no, no, really no, 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 no. Yeah. Who it is? Who it is? But but go off go off with your point. Your point was you don't rate Batshuayi, and or, or clearly no, Lampard. Neither does, neither does any of the managers that we've had since he since yeah, they yeah, came but, here. No, no one's ever used Batshuayi. Okay, but that's properly. fine. But clearly you're saying um, Lampard doesn't rate Batshuayi. Most Chelsea fans don't rate Batshuayi. Lampard clearly yeah. doesn't rate Giroud. So your point is. Well, he doesn't rate Giroud. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. saying. Do you know the funny thing about the Giroud situation? I think whether he rates him or not, I don't think he necessarily does. And I think Giroud is fantastic when he's around talented attacking players. But I think Lampard really, really doubled down on this um, out with the old, in with the young. So Giroud and Pedro, basically, you're not in my plans whatsoever. Yeah. And already now you can start to see it creeping. Oh, well, you know, Giroud's great in training and Pedro here's a few minutes here and there. And I think he's just loath to go back on that a little bit. Um, yeah. And he has to give the reins to Tammy and he has to da 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 But already with the Pedro re-inclusion, it just kind of looks like to me that he was maybe expecting more backing. He expected more from certain players. He was injured, but maybe expected a quicker return from Hudson. But yeah, I think he's... Um, I think he's making it clear to the yeah. board and, and everyone else who he doesn't want in the side. Here's my thing. My thing is, if you guys... I guess this is a question as well. Like, If all of the players were English Academy players, like I'm talking about Giroud and all that, if they all, were all around the same age, same level of performance, 
like recently, obviously you've got to kind of factor in the fact that none of the, like Giroud, Pedro, they don't have momentum. But if all of them were like English academy players, who do you think will be starting? Because I think when people say that Lampard's running the meritocracy, he clearly isn't. There's like you said, there's clearly a bias towards always playing Tammy and Mount. And them them guys, they can have bad games and then they they'll still start. Whereas Pedro will come in and have a bad game, then he's back out for the next ten games and then oh let me try Pedro again. So I Pedro, guess, I, know, I know there was whispers of maybe a fallout over no minutes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but, but exactly like, that's and, what I'm and, saying. And he's old as shit. Like, he's nearly he in is. the factory. He's nearly in like, the home, what? the factory, the bar. But, bro, but, he's not that much older than, than William. Always. Always have that. Always have There's no longevity in playing Pedro. That's the problem. There, there isn't. There isn't. But what I'm, what I'm asking you is, even though there's not no longevity... Like, the way they've been frozen out. So, if you're talking about, oh, Lampard's the one saying we're not scoring enough goals, yet Giroud and Batshuayi have barely played that. In our whole squad, they've, they've played the least in the Premier League. They've played the least. Like, I'm talking about youngsters have played more than them. Pedro, to be fair, Pedro started five games. But so, my whole thing is, like, Lampard saying... Well, a lot of those games have been the last two or three or so. So, I don't know. Thing is with Pedro, we have no, and I know Dan. This is an argument you echo a lot in terms of scorers. Pulisic is have he's broken his records now this year with five. Hudson has untested as a scorer at the top yeah. level, and I think I've been a bit surprised at how not getting into those positions so so much. But obviously injury injury that contextualizes that. But Pedro doesn't have longevity as a player, but top four has very <laughs> a lot of longevity and a few little clutch goals from him, which he does have a tendency to do. Um, would it would be welcome, but I, it goes back to my main point. The fact that we're now thinking, oh, fuck, maybe we need to get Pedro in, exactly. tells me that this window has not addressed weaknesses in the team when they potentially could have and should have. Exactly. When, when, you're, when you're picking a team, you're also sending out a message. So if he's not using Batshuayi and you're saying him, him and Giroud have got the least minutes, that tells you he wants a striker. He doesn't want to use them because he wants to make it abundantly but, clear that but he wants to strike. Yes. This is my problem with the board. It was so bait what we needed. It wasn't It wasn't rocket science. If you're rotating Alonso, Aspie and Emerson at left back, it's very evident that he has no confidence yeah, yeah, in any of the left backs. Matisse, Matisse, that's, Matisse that's all good. But don't forget, yeah, like, what, what, what do you prefer? Because it's not easy to get who you want in January. So, what do you prefer? I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I think you can get who you want in January if you come correct. We didn't come correct. I that's mean, very, that's a donut statement to make. Um, <laughs> oh, Bloomy's here. No way. Nah, yeah. I am here. Um, no, nah, I think it's. I've just been kind of listening because I think, um, to some degree, I've been a little bit detached. But um, in terms of the on Dan's point about meritocracy, um, I think. There, there has been an element of meritocracy, a large element of it, but I think also some of the players have got some equity in the bank, um, and that particularly, I, I lean towards Tammy in that sense. Um, the fact that he's he has scores when maybe people have doubted him, and was so like influential in the kind of the run of games that we had where we were where we were fairly decent. Um, I think that's definitely led to him being kind of um, relied upon more, to our, which, to, in my opinion, is to our detriment. But I do think that yeah. there's been an element of meritocracy but, in that but, sense. I, I do, I do get what you mean, though, in terms of Pedro having the one game, bad, one bad game, and then kind of being fished out. So I, it's almost like there's a sliding scale. Sometimes I think it applies, and sometimes it hasn't. Um, but then I, I guess then in the end, then there's not that kind of true meritocracy if that's the case. Um, with regards to like um, the stuff about January and asking what's on anyone, I think 
it was a poor window. Uh, but I just don't think necessarily that you can say that if we did X, Y, and Z, we would definitely have signed someone. The, like, the profile of players we were looking at, in my opinion, was probably not the right ones in terms of, I don't think having a, having a different striker necessarily solves a large degree of our problems. But Lumi, just um, a quick one on that. Mm, I, I yeah. don't want to derail you completely, so just you can give a quick answer and go back to your point. But I agree with the striker situation to a point. Although I think if Tammy could get rotated a little bit more and there's someone else who's just a bit of a bagsman in limited minutes, great. Do you think, considering how important and significant top four is, I think this year in particular, do you think they should have just broke the bank for Zaha, who still has a good three and a half years at contributing, three years contributing? Or were they right to not overpay for someone who's untested at a top club? Because he's not think, a striker, he contributes to a bit more. Yeah, no, I do, I do understand that. I think for me, with it's harder with Zaha because I personally am not confident on him altogether, and I think that's kind of probably why they didn't put, they didn't break the bank for him because if, if they were really sure that he was someone that they that they felt could really take us up a level or take us up a gear, I think they would have paid. Um, and that's, I was kind of in alignment with that personally. So I, yeah. I think him not him not being signed isn't necessarily a a horrible, you know, a horrible outcome. For me, just uh, onto the point that I, I was kind of um, making in terms of the strikers, um, or, or the, the point that I thought I was making, I'm just with January overall, I think because there's there's a lot that goes into kind of picking up the, the right targets and, and at a short, in terms of the, even the Dries Martin thing, I, was, I think I read that like, they wanted us to loan him back until the summer, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Um, Cavani's wages and all this sort of stuff and him having an agreement with Adeko. So there's so many factors kind of um, at play in January and and with, especially with a view to the summer, um, it makes deals in particular and um, particularly hard. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's kind of where I stand. I, I think also because it's the summer before the Euros, you've got people not wanting to move because it could just fuck up their chances in the Euros. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but also but like on the other hand, we got a striker who desperately wants yeah, to move. Yeah, in replacing. Yeah, yeah, but but also what I was gonna say is like Chelsea have this strategy, and I feel like in January we usually um, sign players on the last day of the window because I read a story. Who knows if it's true? I don't know the veracity, but apparently Marina spoke with Mertens in December, so they always do they were going for Mertens, but Chelsea do this thing where. They'll go in on the last day and they'll try to kind of like force it through. They're like, all right, take it or leave it. It's the last day. What are you going to do? And then that kind of strategy, either you come up with come out with your target or you don't. But So it's like high risk, high rewards. But yeah, to be fair, like with Palumi, what Palumi said is true. Like really and truly, do we just want to get people in now? Or I know Matisse, you kind of, you really want Sancho. So getting Zaha in means... We don't get Sancho in summer. It, like if if we're trying to chase the top targets in Werner, Sancho, all of them guys, that's probably why they didn't sign anyone. But well, it goes back. It goes back to this short term versus long term because these long term targets will probably. It's, it's crazy how much this top four thing seems to matter to top pros and everything like that. Obviously, you can get a Kante if you set a project well enough and pay good wages and stuff. But the Prem is so competitive now in terms of what Liverpool are offering. Um, I don't think any player in the world 
would not want to join that project at Liverpool. He just looks like but, an amazing but, place but to be. Yes, but yes. Great manager. That's why when I see the Mbappe Liverpool kind of uh, little hints and that, I'm actually for the first time Believe shook. It. I know they won't have the finances. But, but yes, but yes. You, Liverpool built that team. A lot of the time, they weren't in the top four. They got their Mane's, they got their Salas, they got a lot of those. They weren't competing at the top level when they was getting them. Do you know what I mean? So, in terms this is of a fair point, but I think they came. They were building it in a less competitive environment. They were building it before the city, the city juggernaut was in full flow. Uh, Liverpool were what they are now. There was no team as good as but Liverpool now. I feel when you. They were building that. I feel. But you. I, I feel you. I think that's a good shot, but I just think they needed to be with us a little bit of a short-term push. It's like NBA trade deadlines just finished and they're signing guys who are 30, 29 and bored the next few months because it's just win-now mode. And I think a, a signing like that just really would have propelled a little bit, maybe even just an older player to come in and... But here's my thing. My, the youngers. my thing is, though, like, if Giroud was on... The, if we didn't have Giroud and Giroud was on the market, we'll probably be chasing him. Do you know what I mean? Like... Th- this is like what we did with Giroud a year ago. And I know Lampard's a different manager from Conte and Conte likes a big striker. So Lampard would, would have probably gone for like a different profile. But what I'm saying is like Lampard, yeah, I think before it worked like this, a lot of the managers weren't paying atten- any attention to the youth and they were focused on get me this, get me that when actually we had good youth players. And I think sometimes it's the opposite. Like Lampard saying we need people that can score goals Giroud's one of the best at scoring goals from crosses and I feel like he's just ignoring it. Like, he's not... Like, Giroud's barely started a game. So, I feel like, yeah, the window's closed now. You haven't got what you wanted, but I feel like he needs to look into the squad and not just be playing like youth. That's just my opinion on it. No, I agree. I mean, the fact is, we've not been great. We've been very, very lucky with these blessed be thy frank weekends where all the points aren't really totting up against us. But now you've had you you've identified that you needed a signing. You you've got a bit more to work with than you've been using. Just do what you can and see if you can etch out something. I think that's probably the Pedro thinking, to be honest. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, moving ahead from January to summer, I mean it didn't really go un unnoticed uh, against Leicester, which we'll talk about in more detail later. That the team was as expected, pretty much barring going a very, very different way in between the sticks. So this Kepa situation seems to have now come to a head where obviously Twitter is rife with oh, save percentages and XG conceded and all of that. And the eye test hasn't been kind to him. The eye test hasn't been kind with certain goals, certain key equalisers and everything like that, even if a lot of them were hard chances to save. Some of them weren't. It's just not look great. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Decision finally been made at the weekend, whether it was a short-term kick up the arse or a genuine, right, we need to just not have this guy in the team because I don't think Caballero necessarily covered himself in glory for the goals. Not that he was awful for them, but, you know... um, but the thing that I'm most interested about now is you don't know whether it's just papers overreacting or genuine Chelsea scouting talk being linked. We've already seen Nick Pope, uh, Mike Manyan from Lille, yeah. um, Onana from Ajax, a new report came out today on, on, on Goal.com where I think um, he was saying, yeah, no, that would be a place where he could see himself developing. He fits the age profile, everything like that. You've even got 
players chirping up now, Nathan Baxter, when an interview comes saying, yeah, well, by the time I'm up for my renewal, I'll be Kepa's age, so maybe I can be trusted. And I think that's what word for word he said. So we got we got we got oh, Nicholas Ty as well got promoted to the Champions League squad. There we go, and then he's he's been pushed up just in case of emergency. And so I think there is a bit of smoke to the fire that there's less confidence than ever long term in the Kepa project. Now I am always cautious when I'm talking about keepers because I don't want to be Gary Neville just saying he should have saved every shot in the world at his near post, which seems to be the thing. Um, but when you dig a bit deeper enough online, you can see some interesting analysis, how his technique lets him down, he swings his arms, he struggles with long shots, his height's not great, this, that and the other. But long and short of it is he's not saving enough shots and clearly is losing the faith of the management and the fans are just not having him at all. But the thing that we've often talked about and it keeps getting reiterated is how much money is tied up in this guy. So... I don't want to get into a huge debate regarding Kepa because there might still be upside. People mentioned the hair had a struggle. This is, this is, this is. But let's say he is a bust. Let's say he is a bust and we play Caballero at least 50% of the rest of the season. Where do the club go from the Kepa situation if that's the case? And are these links something we should be looking at? Man, you know what, yeah? I'm one of those people that just take the loss in it. So... Like he's 25. One of the good things about when you buy a young player is actually if they flop hard or like if they flop, like it's only round about now that Kepa's really been put under the light. So I feel like the longer we keep him, the more the loss is going to be. As in, it could get to the point where he's worth nothing. If we drop him and we keep him like a, a like a sub goalkeeper, when he actually goes, we'll get nothing for him. But I think if we sell him this summer, and I heard that Bill Bow went in back. I think we can get 20, 30 million for him. And that kind of... Well, this is the, thing. the reputation of him in Spain seems to be completely different to here. It was yeah. only a few months ago that he won the national team jersey. So, I mean, if a move to Spain is back on the card, you've at least got the new league excuse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the Premier League's different and you've got to catch a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I feel like definitely sell him, man. Just take the loss. Sometimes it's good. Like, I like the way... Like, everyone's looking to Liverpool as an example. Because they're doing well, they're doing sick. Obviously, they've only dropped two points. But the 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 Kaita signing, the Naby Kaita signing, I like the way John, um, Klopp just decided. Look, he's not doing it. I'm not going to force it. And I think with Chelsea, too often, whether it's been Torres and Morata, we force big signings and we kill ourselves. We kill our seasons and we kind of kill our form because of it. We have to be ruthless and we have to be efficient. And that's why I support. Even though Caballero did kind of make the mistake, it was his first game back. Can't kill him for that. And he was good on the one-on-one. And I think my thing with Kepper is, one-on-ones, you know they're going to go in. I've been saying this for the last three or four pods. Like, before the Arsenal game, I said, rah, if they have two chances, they'll score two goals. And that's exactly what happened. And, I, I like, even though Caballero made a mistake, there was a chance before that in the Leicester game where it was a one-on-one and he saved it. And I feel like for the rest of the season, I wouldn't... I'd drop Kepa, um and I'd put Caballero in and I'd sell him. <laughs> It's just like when um, Bakioko came back for preseason and Frank was like, everybody gets a chance. And I was like, this is what I rated about our previous managers. Not everybody got a chance because they knew exactly what they wanted. Do you know what I mean? Like, not everybody should get a chance. We shouldn't have a situation where we're back in Dublin and Casey Palmer's getting a chance and Bakioko's getting a chance and drink water. Like, these men should never be getting a chance. And the thing is with Kepa, 
like Daniel's saying, if you have no faith that he's going to live up to beat, and, and like I say, potentially, you've got to be world-class. If you're going to start for this club in the future, and we're going to get back to winning leagues and challenging for Champions League, you have to have the potential to be world-class. If you don't have the potential to be world-class, you're already a squad player. For the amount he cost, uh, at the start of the question, the amount he cost, the amount his wages are, I think he's the second-highest earner in this squad. The length of his contract... He's not going to be a bench player. There's no situation where he sits on the bench. So the only two options the club can have is they send him out on loan and they get a loan fee and they get the wages paid and they try and do this long thing like they did with Bakayoko and send him out and bring him back and send him out and then his overall value will just decrease or they just cut their losses and sell. For me, you've got to just cut your losses. If, if you're not going to play him, if you're going to play Caballero, which is a big decision, I don't think the club are going to do that. I feel like he's just what Frank's going to do is he. It's kind of what Sari did last year, even though it was a different incident where Kepa didn't come off, just take him out for one game, and then Kepa comes back in again. Um, I think we actually kept a clean sheet against Tottenham when Cabo came in last year, so it was actually a good game for us. But Kepa will come back in and he'll play. But if he doesn't, just cut your losses. Like I said, we sold Kurtos for 30, 35 or something. We we bought Kepa for seventy, so you can make that difference back up and you start again. But that is not going to happen. I'm just saying that like, Marina is not going to cut losses like that. She she doesn't when she deals with business. She's not looking at all oh, the differential between Cotuas and Kepa. She's going to be like, we shelled out 70 million. I want a lot of that back. Same with Morata. She's going to go for the loan or she's going to keep him. And this boy's going to be sticking around for a while. Well, I don't know what dirt Marina has on a lot of these other clubs' executives, but she does seem to drive a really really good bargain when get rid of players. So if if it is a quick turnaround and it's just the the two years and and yeah, because I agree though, I don't think. I think it's just too bad the optics to put him on the bench. Um, I just I just don't see it happening. I was hoping we would do like a Navas Coutinho kind of thing that they had at Real Madrid, go with an experienced goalkeeper who's better than Kepa, and then put Kepa on the bench and let him get his way back into it. But then I thought to myself, is this dude even potentially world class? And I looked at all of his faults. He can't come on the box. He's not good at one on ones. His positioning needs work. His hands and wrists need work. Soft. I thought to myself, I was like, this kid is not even... Like, he's moving like Cummings. He's looking like an academy goalkeeper. He needs so for much real, work. For real. Like, who's going to give him all that work? I remember... It's going to be miraculous to turn him around, honestly. I remember Rob Green said that in training, he looks like a midfielder. And I thought that was because he was good on the ball. But obviously, he's just a shit, shit keeper. So, like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, like you said, there's, there's too many things wrong with him. He's not that tall. He's got soft wrists. Um, Do you know what? Do you know what, yeah? It's the, do you know what kills me? is when people bring up, oh, but he can distribute. I was like, David Luiz could distribute. What does that mean? And and even if he can distribute, his distribution is still not on the level of an Alisson or Edison. When do you see Kepa spotting someone from across the pitch and creating an assist or creating an opportunity? His, assist, his, his distribution would have to be like Neuer level. It would have to be ridiculous for me to even consider that as a bonus. Like distribution... His distribution is just average. He's, I'm sorry. He, it's because he looks good doing it. It's the same with Zuma. People want to say Zuma can't distribute, but Kepa and Zuma's distribution is probably the same. I'm not going to lie to you. They can nah, both distribute, you know what? No, I, but, I, I, but Zuma I just doesn't look good doing I, it. That's the only difference. I think, really. I, think, I think Kepa is good at distribution. Obviously, if you're talking about creating assists and shit like that, yeah, Edison creates assists, but that's not distribution, is it? I've seen him pick up players good. And I think that the reason he was scouted by Sari is because he wanted someone good at distribution. But obviously, he didn't actually look at his goalkeeping ability. So, like, yeah, like I think we all agree. Uh, Palumi, you haven't said much, but um, I think everyone else, we've all said that. I don't think that he's good enough. And I feel like Lampard knows that. I think that Chelsea fans know it. 
So yeah, it's, it's something's got to be done. And obviously, we're seeing the links to goalkeepers, so I, it definitely will be done in summer. That's what I think. Luckily, he didn't sign something crazy like a seven-year contract when he joined, because otherwise, we'd really be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in talking on that on that big decision, we do have we do have a game to to cover. So, Leicester Saturday weekend. Um, 2-2 in the end, which, I mean, considering we were salvaged a little bit by um, our new marksman, Antonio Rudiger, um, again, it seemed like a very, very typical way to concede the goals in the game. It was one-two passes through an entirely open triangle midfield for the for the Barnes goal early on, um, way too easily beaten, and then just really soft, and then the deflection, okay, cool, and then... To be honest, this is where when I did see the goal, I was thinking Caballero at the near post. But I'm not. I'm trying not to be Neville. Trying not to be Neville. But just loads of stashed, static bodies in the box. Cross coming. We're just so soft defensively. We are just so soft, and it just seemed like repetition of the entire season. What were the positives? What was the thing that you did see? Because at the end of the day, we didn't lose to a team of obviously in the league, so there must have been some. I'll say Reese James, but I've been saying. Yeah, I was just going to say Reese James, but I've been saying that for like the last three games. And to be fair, even though Reese James is a positive, a lot of the good work he does do. So like Reese James is solid. Reese James is solid. Even like in that Leicester game, he kind of slipped up a couple of times, but even his recovery to get the ball back was solid. So like Reese James is solid. But one of the things is obviously one of the reasons why he's solid is that he continually produces good crosses but we don't seem to take advantage of them but obviously if you're, you're asking for good things in the game I'll go with Reese James Palumi you was going to say um, yeah, I think generally like we in terms of the first half I was quite impressed with well, mm, first half was a stretch first 20 minutes of the first half I'd say I think we were pretty good I thought um, like Callum's first few touches were, like, were really good sharp I think Reese created a lot and just in terms of like watching us against Leicester, I didn't think there was a, there was much between us in terms of where they are in the league and then how we've been playing. I would have been quite worried going into the game, but I thought I thought we were okay. Um, and I, it's it's hard, but I feel like we always have those spells within games or whenever we played. Whenever someone says like we played well, so like when we played Man United at home in the League Cup, we played Liverpool at home in the league. Um, we've always had these like moments in games, even like City game. But I think that, that for me, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of, well, maybe that is my positive rather that there is sometimes a glimpse of something that you can you could hopefully see start to stretch out across like, longer part periods of game. I think it's just the difficulty is now that we're like 24, 25 games in, in terms of the league, none of that is, has, feels like, I don't feel like it's manifested as much as it's I think just what you said is what you said there, Palumi, about it comes in spits and spurts um, and there's moments where you're just like, wow, it's really clicked, but the consistency is not there. All I could think when you were saying that, and it, uh, whoever else said it, I think Matisse, you said about Kepa, how he looks like an academy goalkeeper. A lot of the time, I feel we feel like an academy team. I feel like we feel like a 23 team, which, okay, you could say, I don't want to be disrespectful to the coaching staff because obviously they're massively experienced in football. Mm. But you could say that their experience probably has been a lot on how to play and how to coach individuals as opposed to needing to get results. Yeah. Uh, and there definitely is that kind of 
idealistic vibe coming off sometimes. I don't want to say naive mm. because I think their intentions are to play the best football they can. And there's a lot of statistical metrics in terms of charts creation where we look quite good. But just it looks so under 23 in the, t- in the way that we play nice stuff. We concede soft goals. We create loads of chances, but the finishing's not there. And it just, I just don't know if it's about we need to read out the expectation constantly that this is a team with five academy graduates or is that just being too forgiving of the standards that are being set by Chelsea Football Club? I think it is. I personally think it is maybe a little bit too forgiving. Only in that, um, a lot of, in, a, in quite a few of the games we're playing, I don't feel like there's there's a number of players from the academy um, that would suggest that like the team should be playing like that. Yeah, exactly. Or rather, what I mean by that is a lot of the, the senior statesmen um, aren't producing and I, I like I know Willian's a scapegoat and it's not it's not necessarily him directly or him as him per se but when you have the Tottenham game and you see what he's capable of, of in that and then you then look at like another handful after I don't really feel like we've had anything from him and it's that kind of it's that stuff I, that I get to that. some degree I think is 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 kind of I'm almost unfair because I don't think it's necessarily the fact that the the team is and I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying those five players are the reason because yeah, one of them is a top goal scorer one of them is it. but I don't know I just feel like the, it's, it's the coaches have come from under 23 Lampard yeah. is I said it a few weeks ago um, Lampard is more of a novice to top flight football in his role than people like Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham in terms of actual seasons in the role yeah. so yeah, I, I don't want to lend it too much. That I'm just wondering how much that environment isn't but, is maybe the antithesis to a Mourinho environment where there's more focus on the let's play how we want to play this that and the other. Um, and I just yeah, and I just it's just something that I just have seen and felt a little bit. And, and why? Uh, why I agree with you is it's more the environment because you talk about five academy players, they're not all on the pitch at the same time usually the majority of the players are experienced. So when everyone keeps on saying, yeah, it's because it's a youth team, yeah, it's because it's a youth team. No, actually, it's not. Usually Tomori's not playing. Obviously, Reese James has come back from injury. He's coming. But usually, most of the players there are experienced players. It's just Tammy and Mount that are the and regular. And enemy goalkeeper, don't forget. As you, <laughs> yeah, as for you, real, for real. You know. But yeah, but, yeah no, it's, it's just an observation. I think going back to the William point, this is where William had a really good few weeks at some point in the season and he was working really hard early on in the season and this is where someone like Aconte, um was really good in his in his first year of rotating William and Pedro because when one went off the ball the other one came in and then the story of that season was Pedro never really went off the boil he was he was consistent because there was that threat and I think William it's not a coincidence that Pedro's out of favour Pulisic is injured Hudson's having to be rehabbed back in and William's performances are inconsequential, I guess. But so, what? so yeah, and that's just that point on the on the using the squad to his maximum capacity. And quickly, what I'll say about William is this is what we expect from William anyway. Like you said, every single season we know what to expect. So I can't be disappointed in William when we've seen him for seasons upon seasons. So like, and Lampard's a Chelsea fan, so he's seen that too. So like this, we knew we knew this. Uh, like William gives us a little I'm not, bit. I'm not just. I'm not disappointed. I'm just not accepting it. I think it's bullshit, to be honest. And I think he's, like, especially when, 
there is this like need for somebody to really kind of I hate this term but like take control sometimes um in these I days. fully thought when you said I hate this term I fully thought you were gonna say grab the game by the scrapper and then you disappointed <laughs> that was basic no that was that's what you were looking for but no like obviously that is what people kind of um want and she I understand that like there isn't that expectation maybe across the fan base, but when you when you consider the what is asked, what, what I imagine he thinks of himself and what is the, the esteem he's held held in, I want more. I want more. I, and I, I think it's like he gets away with murder basically. But, but what, um, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is not from William's perspective, but from a manager from a managerial perspective, you should know what William's going to give you. Do you know what I mean? So when you're setting yeah, up your team in yeah. the long term, and and you've put William in there. Then you're not going to get that regularly. So everyone blaming the young players. Okay, the only thing more guaranteed than William inconsistency is the crazy links to Barcelona that come every single window, as we saw last week. They are two things that never, ever, ever are going to die as long as that man plays football. He must. He must have an agent working overtime for him. I don't know what's going on there. And there's a, and there's a, and there's a line as well coming out recently that um, he. I think the headline I saw was William prefers Chelsea to Barcelona this this for the, for a contract next year. Prefers this man oh. has the choice. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> moving on to moving on from a player who has his spot in the team pretty much written in stone to one who is going to be very interesting to see how they how they come back into the fold and how they affect things moving forward. Best news probably any Chelsea academy fan. Development squad fan or just general fan, um, even of young English talent, was Ruben Loftus-Cheek completing 60 minutes in a, in a behind-closed-doors friendly recently. Um, he's 24 now, so I know there's a massive, massive wanting for him to just really put the injury issues behind him and, and get, get some consistent game time and become the player that he can be. It still winds me up that he got did this on the worst pitch in the worst friendly I have ever ever heard of before a European Cup final. But it's done. One day I'll get over it. How 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 can we expect his rehab phase in the team to look? Is he going to be under immediate pressure because of the need for top four and potentially be given too much to do and struggle, or is he just going to come back ready? All the rehab be fine and transform this team. And where is he going to come back? Because I know Matisse had the dig at Dan for right wing, but <laughs> we've got to see where where is he going to come back? Is he is he going to take Mount's place, even though he doesn't go behind as much, and that seems to be something that Lampard loves? Uh, is he going to sit deeper with a with a Kante or a Jorginho or a Kovacic in a two? Is he gonna, in true soft style, just? Pop up on the right wing. And I don't, put Hudson I, I don't even know where you got the right wing thing shit from. I don't. Someone, I don't know. Someone on yeah. the account made a video and it just showed him bare on the touchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he was. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. Playing in that game, like that's not necessarily what I want him, but 
I think Alice, to be fair, I think Hodgson put him there on a four four two. If I remember yeah, yeah, right, but he's played right a lot. To be fair, yeah, but yeah, it's just yeah. how is he going to come yeah. back? How needed is he? So and where is he fit into so this team? My thing is, I like I don't know if you guys saw the news, but obviously Dembele was coming back from injury, and like their new coach Setien, like Kike Setien, I think he was even kind of tearing up in training, thinking. Yes, this is the type of player I want, but like recent news came out that like something's happened to his fire or whatever, so he's going to be out again for another stretch. So, like, I get the I desperation. Yeah, he's out for the season again. Yeah, so I get the desperation, but I feel like we know that like, Loftus isn't the most kind of robust player, so I think we definitely have to be careful. Like, even though we need him and we clearly need him, wherever it's central midfield, because he could. My whole thing is, I feel like he can play in a number of places, but I feel like. His quality is great, but we can't rush him in. Even no matter how much we need him, we have to be careful because if we depend on him, then it's it's one of those things like we like he'll always play him. He might overplay him. So um, I'm glad he's back, but I just I don't want him rushed in. And and in terms of and Lampard hasn't got the best. I need, I know that he's taken in his his main conditioning member star Chris Jones. Remember he obviously swears by him and stuff. But I think Emerson, Rudiger, Kante. They've all been rushed back this season, <laughs> and then and with Reese James, they yeah. will come back, yeah. play, and then go straight back out. And so that's a bit of a concern and emerging as a pattern. And Tammy, Tammy played with an injection, like so, and, and maybe the the, phys, uh, the physio said that it's cool, but that's that kind of like like you said, like it's a pattern. So I'm worried about that because obviously, like Loftus Cheek, the last few seasons, he's he's always had injuries, so. Like yeah, for me, I'm glad. I'm glad he's training. I'm glad he's playing. But at the same time, we can't rush him. Palumi, do you see a, a, a situation where he doesn't really start any games until potential crunch time of the last three weeks, maybe or, or something? Or do you just see him maybe being sat and rotated in through the whole season? I think he's. I think he will be used. Um, I'm hoping he'll be used sparingly. Um, and truthfully, I don't really know what the thinking will be in terms of like his involvement. I just like like Dan says though, I kind of reiterate like those sentiments. I really, really want him to just be given time. Um especially because of the way that like um because of the way that like fans and just the expectation and way people the way people assess performances generally, um, I don't feel like after like three games he's gonna get that much slack. I feel like it's gonna be like, oh like you're you know clamoring for him to be back and, and now He's he's dog da, 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 and it's just yeah. not going to be helpful. Um, so I think, but if, if Hudson's anything to go by, um, there there was an element of him being rotated out. But part of that is because he came he when he came in, he wasn't playing the greatest. After like he had like he basically had a period where he, he kind of went off the ball, and and then he was rested more. And then it was like, oh yeah, you got to remember he's been you know he's just had an injury. If if Ruben comes in does really well will there be that same kind of willingness to actually sit him um, that's something I'm not sure of especially because I, I do think he's he's got qualities that, that we, we lack um, but yeah I'm, I'm just hoping that he, he, he gets some time to kind of develop um, and get like fit and healthy in over an extended period of time irrespective of where we are in the league I know there's a lot of, there's a massive demand for it but yeah he, he just needs to be fit really Matisse, where do you see uh, Loftus fitting into this? Let's even go with Lampard's obvious sort of four-two-three-one preference. Where do you see Loftus Cheek fitting into this team? If it's me personally, I would um, 
I would put Loftus-Cheek back where he was last year and in a free midfield and then put him, obviously, whoever you want to put him, if you want to put Kante or Jorginho or Kovacic, it doesn't really matter to me. As long as, long as Loftus-Cheek's in that midfield, I wouldn't put him in 10 because I feel like you're not getting the best out of what he can bring to the team. I feel like he's better driving deep. And I feel like he can he can potentially be the guy who runs beyond. He's quick, he's strong. There's no reason why he can't. And he's got good finishing. So for me, Mason Mount hasn't been scoring enough goals. I look at him as a second striker. Like This season, I never looked at him as, as a playmaker, someone who's going to create chances, someone who's going to do all of that. I just looked at him as, you run beyond Tammy, you score goals. You you take knockdowns, you do all of that. And he's not scored enough goals. And even his finishing has been a little bit underwhelming. He sometimes shoots straight at the keeper. It seems rushed. It's not composed. So if he's not even doing what a second striker is meant to do, then Loftus-Cheek comes in for him all day, surely. It's not even a, it's but, not but even if, a debate. If Loftus-Cheek yeah, yeah, yeah. comes if in for him as a second striker, as a, then he's playing high up, right? No, I would have Loftus-Cheek coming into a midfield, but I would sacrifice the second striker because the second striker is not scoring goals. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I would rather I would rather us control games better because yeah. um, we're not scoring goals anyway. So at least control games better so we can see less. If you look at last year, the only difference is that we controlled games better so we didn't concede as many goals. We're still not scoring goals. Like we're still missing chances. We're still there's still no chemistry between Abraham and Reese. The, the crosses are still coming in and he's still only just missing, which is ridiculous to me. I don't understand how you can not tap in those crosses. Like Reese James's crossing is on the same level as Kevin De Bruyne. But we don't have anybody at the back post tapping them in. That's why I think Frank was looking for a wide striker. Dembele, Werner, because someone who can go on the back post on the left wing and just tap them in like Sterling. But yeah, 100%. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's not happening. Yeah, I think with Mount, Mount, I think he's got one goal in the last three months. I think yeah. he's played the most out of every single player. He's got the most appearances in the Premier League. Um, and he's scored like one goal in his last 24 games to Chelsea. So like... Lampard can say we're missing goals, we're missing this, we're missing that. But at the same time, I mean, in the in an interview after the Leicester game, he was like saying there's the unseen work that Mason Mount does and then shit like he's covering the lines and shit like that. <laughs> but when you're when you're playing in that advanced position, if you're not scoring goals or you're not creating, then you're not doing enough. Do you know what I mean? It's like when we're talking about yeah. Kepart in terms of yeah, he's a, he, he's good distribution wise. But if you're a goalkeeper, you got to, you like your bread and butter first, and so like. Mason Mount on the left, I don't. Like, I think most of he's got. Like, even when he has scored, I think he's been playing on the left anyway. So like, if if it's this Mount has to play, cool. But like, yeah. he's not doing it left in that back. position. So play him do on the left. Because uh, he did, did look sharper early on. Do you, some on the left, some in, in the ten. Do you think it's a combination or one obvious of a quality issue, a rotation issue, and just playing too many minutes, or teams now knowing that. They're going to try mounting behind. Just don't give that space up. Do you know what it is? No. I'll quickly go first. Number one, Mount, like, to be fair, even in the Leicester game, Mount did some good work in terms of pressing. So, like, Lampard wants people to cover the lines and press high, and he said all week we've been working on pressing. So that's all good, yeah? But when it comes down to it, like, when you're pressing and you're going out wide to press and all that off the bullshit, you're not in the box to score enough goals. Number two, Mount takes a lot of long shots. And it doesn't bang. I don't think he scored one like from outside the box. And number three, like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just don't know. Like Mount, he he he's playing not even like a second striker. He's playing like a striker. And so when you're playing the, these positions, 
I think you're so high. I think on the left, maybe he can, he's got more space, so like he can run with the ball. But when you're in the middle, high, you don't have that much space to run with the ball. So he's he's not getting the ball that much. Like if you're on the left, you can kind of cut in and shoot. And I think that's what I've seen Mount as a, like a, a proper danger to the goal. But I feel like just centrally, if he's not winning the ball high, and if we're not playing against the team that's playing the ball out from the back, I don't think he's that much of a goal for it. Looking at his um, his his. Uh... Performance statistically against Leicester because I was out of the country, I missed the game, so I can't say with any certainty what he did off the ball and all sorts of stuff. But I was just looking, and he, half of his crosses were accurate, and he attempted a fair few great um, key passes, two not bad, one most of his ground duels, great, that's a lot of what he's in for, one three fouls, um, only two block shots. So again, there's a question of maybe distance there or shot selection, but I had no idea that. Already what we're discussing is being put into practice. His entire heat map is pretty much to the left. So he's clearly recognising that is a space where he can go, be successful, whether it be him or Lampard. And and yeah, but then again, that then brings the question of, you have Pulisic, William, Hudson-Odoi, Pedro trying to get some minutes and just and just what the balance is. Um, and I definitely think your point there about, about Loftus-Cheek coming in is he's needing to come in to help dominate games um, and from back to front. I think long-term, he's he's one, I think he's the most talented player to come out of the academy. Yeah. I know that at least some academy staff feel that way and yeah. see him as that, very much the jewel of the academy and everything. So I think making him a central point is a no-brainer. Um, but yeah, we just need to hope that he comes back fit, is used, is used sensibly, um, grows into the role as an eight for me and just is able to be a, a major, major part of the club moving forward. My, my quick thing is Loftus-Cheek, like Loftus-Cheek, like Mount, wants to get in the box to score. But at the same time, whereas Mount will get the ball in midfield and just pop off to someone and run into the box, Loftus-Cheek kind of appreciates build-up a bit more. He's, like, he's a bit he's a bit more of a playmaker than him. So like, yeah, I think my, my worry is, is that Mount kind of has to play. So if Mount, if Lampard if Loftus Cheek comes back and Mount goes to the left, that's cool. But if Mount gets that position and Loftus Cheek plays deeper, and I know that a lot of people like Matisse kind of referenced it. Oh yeah, it's good that he's deep and then he can come forward. But when you're deep, you have a lot of defensive work to do. When we played against Leicester, they were playing three attacking midfielders. He's got a big responsibility, and so if we're sacrificing Loftus' attacking ability for Mounts. That's not something that I'm really here for. Do you know what I mean? Especially in the four two, like four two three one. I'm going to start with Palumi on on this where I want to where I want to finish up. Um, we've reached the winter break where where teams get their their, their I think it's fortnight or ten, twelve days or something. They get their time off. They they get to just chill and, and introduce that. And now Palumi, you've alluded to on the pod today and privately that you're what was what was the word you used. ディスルージョンディスコネクトウズイッチウィチワンノーディタッチディタッチウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウォーズディーウ
And then everyone feel free to chime in. Two things that this this side looks good doing, selection-wise, player-wise, style-wise, that they would need to double down on, and two things that just need to be changed immediately that you think will, will turn the season around. Because I'm not counting us as fourth, by the way. Like, we're not fourth. I don't care. It's a fake fourth. Everyone has been a mess, and they've all strengthened. It's a fake fourth. Pels? I think for me, the detachment comes from like a, an unwillingness to watch us be really crap. And I don't, and that's not to say we've been bad like throughout the season, but like genuinely, there's, and there's parts like, and that's again, like, I remember, like I've got a specific moment in my head where the ball's um, down by the, the left, like the left touchline, and Aspie's got it, and Willian's like really close to him, and someone's infield, and they're trying to play out, and it looks like a retired area, and it looks really, really sloppy. And I think for me, watching, the team, like in the elements, just play really scrappily and not create and stuff like that. That's that's what stuff makes watching us really hard. And um, so it, there was times in the, earlier in the season, like I said about the Spurs, where it was like, uh, yeah, we're playing here and there, but I could kind of see bits. Whereas now I'm I'm struggling with that a lot more. I, I can see like the the kind of the willingness to get into the wide areas and whatnot and, and cross the ball. But when the when the football was as bad as as it has been at times, I'm finding it difficult to really commit. Um, and it's, and I find it particularly difficult because there is some really good things culturally that I see brewing. Um, but the trade-off between having those cultural like um, positives and then also that the kind of results, so not even so much the results, but the performances, um, that's something I'm, I'm particularly struggling with. If there was two things that I would keep doing, um, I think largely... I don't think the squad selection has been bad. So I'd say for him to kind of stick with more or less what he's done. I've, I've, the only kind of qualm in that area is maybe just like an element of favoritism or bias. Um, and that kind of leans on some players when they're underperforming and kind of being consistent, played consistently. But equally, I'm someone that believes in a lot, particularly like, let's say with someone like Mount, if he then does have the bad games and then gets dropped out, then how does he develop and how does he improve? Um, and I guess it just depends on, on what the coach himself is like, kind of instructing him. Um, yeah, that and then keep playing Reese James would be another good one. Um, but um, yeah, that's it for me, really. All right, I'll go next. I think, do you know what? This is something we haven't been doing as per such, but in the last game we did. So I think Kante was another good thing from the last game, especially the first half. And I think he was told to play deeper. So it was only Mount kind of pressing high. And he let Kante do a lot of great work deeper. And I I think we should continue doing that. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not saying what type of formation we should play or whatever, but I think that... We we need people that can score in the box. So I think um, if you want to continue playing Mount, cool. But like we're playing a crossing game. Let's just be honest. Like those are the chances we're creating. We've got Reese and Hudson there, and they've they've got great balls in. Like no one can no one can criticize Reese's crosses into the box, and even Hudson is doing great crosses into the box. So the fact that we're not scoring for them, that means there's a problem with the system or the personnel that are receiving the ball. So. The fact that Tammy and Mount are in the centre, and don't forget, Tammy has scored 
13 goals in the Premier League and I think seven of them came in within three games. So I feel like Lampard saying Tammy needs help. Cool. One thing I would change is help him put Giroud and Tammy there together. Um, because if we're playing all of these crosses and Giroud's one of the best in terms of converting crosses and yeah, like the one game that Giroud came in, everyone was like, oh look, he, he came so deep. But yeah, Giroud comes deep. He's at that age now where he's not kind of obsessed with scoring. I know he's never been a great scorer, but that, that's, the, that's something you can use because rather than Tammy go, doing all the hold-up and having to come back to do hold-up but then get into the box to get in the end of Reese's, now you've got someone that, okay, Giroud can be behind him doing the hold-up and then like at the same time, he can be with him there to kind of... So when the ball comes in, it's not just one person. There's someone in the back box. So I guess that's one, one thing is to continue playing um, Kante deeper. Another thing is to, yeah, play two strikers, I think, because we're playing a crossing game, clearly. I think another good thing is, yes, we're playing English players. I know Jody Morris came out and said that we're everyone's second team now because we're playing young English players. Listen, when, when, other, when rivals like you, you're probably not doing well. Like, I know sometimes there's teams that rivals like them and everything's going well, but usually it's because you're, you're, you're non-threatening. Now, what I will say is I'm glad, and I'm sure most people are glad, that young English players are playing and just young players are playing in general. But one thing we need to change, it needs to be more of a meritocracy. So, like I said before, you didn't get your players in the window. There are players that you've kind of kept in the cold. For you to say that we're not scoring enough and then Batshuayi and Giroud have the least amount of chances. And I don't care if you rate Batshuayi or you rate Giroud or not. When it comes down to it, William doesn't score goals like that. Mount's not scoring goals. I'm sure like you guys will all agree that Giroud and Batshuayi can probably score more, more goals than them. So my whole thing is be more of a meritocracy, carry on playing the youth, um, but at the same time, like you said, Mount doesn't have to play every fucking single game. Mount can still develop, but not play every single game. Do you know what I mean? That's me. I completely agree. Completely agree. I mean, do you know what? I'm going to pitch this idea, just see if you guys like it. But what you're suggesting sounds like a four. What we played under, under Ancelotti, which was Maluda in the number 10, and then Anelka and Jogba up front, it sounds like you're suggesting a diamond. No, it's not even like, that, you know. I'm, I'm just saying, like, it, it doesn't have to be that. It could it, it could be Hudson wide right. If he wants to play Mount, Mount could be wide left. And then it could be Giroud behind Tammy. So Giroud will just... Because right now I see Mount basically playing like a striker. That leaves us very exposed in midfield, though. I think what I, what I would personally do is I would actually take what you said there, two up front, but I would go over Diamond, play um, Giroud and Tammy up front, go um, Hudson Odoi in, in the 10, and whatever ball, whatever side of the pitch the ball is on, whether we're attacking down the left or the right, mostly it will be down the right, put Hudson Odoi, like, tell him to move to that side. I, then I, that way you keep the midfield free, keep it structured, you keep the yeah. balance in midfield, you keep I, the defensive shield. I, I don't mind that, Matisse, I don't mind that. And obviously in the youth, mm. Tammy played like a wide striker. So it can even kind of pivot to Tammy if you want it. Or, or like on the left, cutting in and then Giroud up front. But my, my whole thing is currently with Mount in midfield, I don't think we have that balance anyway. You guys, you you probably all saw the map. Mount is playing like a striker. So when you're saying we don't have the balance in midfield, Mount's not doing midfield work, bro. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I don't. Feel, I feel like Mount is very detached from the team half the time. He's, it's just it's very so, disjointed. So, it's not. So, it's not great. So what I'm saying is, I agree with you. I like the balance of midfield and midfield three. I just feel like Lampard won't play that midfield three. No. So, he won't. so if you're gonna if you're gonna play someone behind or with Tammy, play a striker. 
rather than someone that's got one goal in 24 games. Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see a world in which he plays two up front and then plays two wingers as well. I, I, know. Um, I don't see it either, but what I'm saying is, if you're going to continue yeah. crossing ad nauseum, oh, yeah, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Especially against low blocks, Drew should be in the team. It makes no sense to me. Because yes. we're not pressing against low blocks. You take those games at Stanford Bridge where we're okay. up against 10 men behind the ball. We're not, we're not pressing. Yeah. Like, where, where, where is there? What are we pressing? There's nothing to press. There's no yeah. space in behind yeah, to press. Yeah. So it's a force. It's, it doesn't make no sense for Drew not to be on the pitch. It's a force. Um, yeah, it's, it's mad. And and last little one to, to finish up on because again mid midpoint it's time to put your hands on the wood, breathe, have a little look back, think what we got to look forward to. Um, I can never forget the moment. Where I was, well, I'm sat where I am now because it was on the pod. But anyway, <laughs> the moment where I was when Palumi screamed and screeched laughing at uh, Joe Tweed's predicting fourth place finish. <laughs> so, firstly, again, that question do we get top four now that we know exactly what we're up against moving forward for the rest of the season? A Bruno Fernandez led Manchester United with Oli still at the wheel, so that helps. Uh, Chris Wilder with uh, Joe's favourite player on earth, Sander Burge, coming to strengthen them. Um, Spurs, like Mourinho, Spurs settling in a lot more now. Uh, we weren't, we didn't know that in pre-season. Uh, Arsenal are fully out of the picture, which I just wanted to mention that because it's hilarious and I want everyone <laughs> to enjoy how funny that is. Wolves creeping. Do we get top four, number one? And has Lampard over or under-delivered on your expectation of him as a manager for this season? Palumi, do you want to start us off? Um, I think we will just miss out on top four. Um, and I don't think it's as as it, as it were in terms of like the, the opportunity to, to, to get the top four based off of what what a lot of that in, what that take was based on um, in terms of Arsenal's move like manoeuvring through the transfer market and what I imagine they would do what uh, was, this, was this still when we thought that they would bang completely that what they're doing now. yeah yeah, yeah. So it's, like, it's a really long time ago yeah yes it's this stage million times so I think um, I, I, I think that does link to the kind of lack of um, or rather the under delivery um, for me because at that point I would have said sick based off of what was going on around us was okay and now I kind of look at where everybody else is um, and think actually we should probably be a little be bit clear. better than this be clear yeah. clear go yeah, and, I, and, and I think that's where my issue lies. Um, and us just missing out isn't necessarily because I don't have um, hope. Like, I, I still think we can do it. It's just based off of what I've seen um, and the inconsistency. Um, I could just imagine like a late run from Spurs just picking us or some, some like, rubbish like that. But uh, that's kind of how I feel, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think we might make it, you know. But I think we might make it, but it won't be due to us. It'll be just due to everybody else being shocking. Mm-hmm. Um but on Lampard, I think he's done 
it's tough to know whether like whether he has a style or not because obviously he's a, he's a pretty pretty much a rookie in this game. It's only his second season as a manager. But at the same I time, still, uh, mate, the whole season I have just been wondering <laughs> how much of this is deferred to Edwards and Morris, how much of this is Lampard yeah. just overseeing, mm. like how much yeah. is really driven by him. Like it, yeah, it's hard to know. I wish I did it's, know. I feel like it's a group. It's a group kind of thing. I don't feel like he's he's not Sarri. He's not Conte. He's not Mourinho. He's not like chief and commander do you know what I mean he doesn't have to I don't feel like he has that kind of authority nor does he have the history to back that up um success rate trophies all that kind of stuff so I feel like it is a team effort um but one thing is is that when you look statistically chance created you know expected goals conceded stuff like that we do stack up quite well so he must be doing something right Mm. but Mm. the squad that he has is so poor like you take it like I said like we said at the beginning half these players not half of them but a big portion of these players are playing in the Premier League for the first time or if you're telling me you're playing for the second time but really this is your first time at this level then you're taking you're combining that with a bunch of in- inconsistent seniors the likes of Alonso Emerson like Emerson was just meant to put the ball out for a touch out, out the touchline when Tammy was on the ground and we would have got we would have got a win but inexperience or not even inexperience just stupidity it just doesn't it doesn't resonate with him and he just clears it out up the pitch so you're dealing with that you're dealing with the likes of William being inconsistent Pedro being past it He's not working with much. This is why I'm so annoyed with the transfer window because he's literally working with scraps. So the fact that we're even in this position is it's just, like you said earlier, it's false, it's fake. It's a fake position. We shouldn't be here. Um, I think Lampard is underperforming. I disagree. Obviously, we finished fourth last year and we, like, even with our second team, because most of our second team played in the Europa League, we won that. Um, obviously, we bossed Same Arsenal. Last year. That was. Say again? Okay, yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm just saying like a lot of people, I, I get they're frustrated and I get it can look like whatever the form is, that's how good our squad is. When we're playing good at, when we were playing good at the beginning of the season, oh, well, our squad's amazing. Now we're in a patch. Now our squad is poor. Um, I think that the squad is good and I expected, like even when we was in in that first podcast when we, was, we were saying we're finishing sixth, that was more about Lampard's selection than my belief in the squad. So I've always believed this squad can finish top four. And I think people have come to see that actually we should be comfortably finishing top four. But I think selection ish, like selection choices um, have been poor. And I think that Lampard, I think we play shit football, but by the way, and I think at the beginning of the season, a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that sorry residue kind of helped us. And, and I thought we kind of saw this kind of sorry residue, but the more he kind of dismantles that, the more he kind of, Benches Kovacic and some sometimes so one of the three has to play. The more we kind of see that going, and I think that that's why we're kind of seeing uh, like horrible football sometimes uh, and basic football sometimes. But that's not. I'm I'm still happy that we got Lampard. I think that he's kind of reunited um, the fan base, and and I think that I'm I'm glad that he's played the young players. But I, in terms of getting top four, it's very very touch and go because I. Even though, like, I still believe in the squad, I don't necessarily think that Lampard's going to make the right choices to gas over the line. And I know that he blames it on the transfer window, and I think the fact that he's said after the transfer window that it's put us as the underdogs, I feel like, mentality-wise, that's the wrong thing to say, even if you're in a battle with the board. As soon as, soon as I read that, I yeah. was just like, oh, yeah. mate. Yeah, it's like... Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, the, the last match... When he, rather than bringing on a striker, he kind of brought on William and, and Barkley. 
And even though he said he did it for tactical reasons, I think that's another statement to the board. I feel like it might even be a thing where Lampard's decisions to try to get to try to get the board to see that he needs to they need to listen to him might end up cost, costing us. Well, listen. Hopefully, this winter break is is a is a moment of rest for the players to re- revamp and get back to the form that they showed in early parts of the season and that youthful enthusiasm that, that did strap us on. And hopefully, it's a moment of reflection for the coaching staff to really revisit um, what what we're doing and what the approach is and how we're best gonna, in the words of uh, you, Pels <laughs> and Matisse, not play crap football. Um, so yeah, that's what we got time for this week. Look forward to it next week. Uh, oh wait, oh. are we going to do one next week? No, do not. Probably not. I think so we'll let's, week off. Yeah, let's do a winter <laughs> break. Let's take pictures with some animals in some zoo somewhere. And then <laughs> we'll take a week yeah. off. We'll get an early half term for us, winter break for them. And yeah, and then we'll be back in two weeks, same time, Friday morning release, late Thursday night, Chelsea Hour. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Pels. And thank you, Matisse, for, for jumping on tonight, man. Um, good discussion. And hopefully this second half of the season can... Um, Get get Palumi reattached. <laughs> right, that's what it is. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. Sports Social Podcast Network.